This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sometimes our pre-show meetings tend to go a few minutes longer as we try to go some over the analytics of our downloads and where people listen. It's it's fascinating because we were just looking at that St. Louis, Missouri is the second largest city that listens to us outside of Detroit, which is Cardinal fans like us or something. But I don't, if yeah, if by chance somebody from St. Louis happens to be watching us and they want to leave a comment and tell us yeah. why, what's <laughs> yeah, going on. Or, yeah, absolutely. So welcome. In. We don't. Yeah, I've never been to St. Louis. I'd like to. One yeah, day. I never, I've never been either. I, I know that some people say the arch is overrated, but they do have St. Louis pizza style and then St. Louis yeah. ribs. Also, oh, ribs, they say they have some of the best Italian food in the country. Really? No, the. <laughs> I've never tried it, but I don't need to. It's like saltine crackers with like flavorless cream cheese on the top. It's. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. No way. That's a, that, no. I guess that, that's a thing. So welcome into Tigers Radio episode 409. I'm Rahelio Castillo and Tim is Chris Brown and Youper. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Media, Stitcher, and Google Play. And of course, you can find us at MotorCityBangles.com. It's embedded in every article. And I want to give you a few reasons why you should be a Patreon member. So one, by the way, thank you for a new subscriber, Walt. Really appreciate that. His comments were really kind. And honestly, that, that yeah. really meant a lot to us. So thank you, Walt. If you're listening, Walter, sorry, I'm, he probably won't say that. Walter, thank you so much. And big WP. Uh, the reason why you want to be a Patreon member is bonus content like the video we had with Chris and I talking to J.J. Cooper of Baseball America, which was a fantastic interview. We will, we will be posting the audio in the next couple of days, but if you want to get the video, which will not be on our YouTube channel, I highly recommend being a Patreon. It just goes to – we want to go to spring training this year, Chris and I. Chris has never been to Lakeland. I want to have him go. And if a Uper wants to go to hell, we'll make it. We'll make it. We'll make a trio. <laughs> we'll, right. do a three, we'll do the three amigos. Like, <laughs> like we'll do that thing. All jokes aside, all that money goes back into the show, supporting. We have stuff to pay for bills, electronics, and all that stuff. Okay, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Tigers Radio. And yeah, the podcast today, Chris with JJ went. It was awesome. I- yeah, J.J. Cooper was really generous with his time and, and very fun. I think we got on his good side early, but uh, Rogelio played the Airwolf theme. <laughs> uh, I, we know that, that, that J.J. is way into aviation and stuff like that. Yeah, we spent, I think, the first 10, 15 minutes not really discussing anything modern with baseball, just chatting and chopping it up, and that was cool. He was, nice. Like I said, he, he was really generous with his time, and we, we got into everything. We talked about Tiger's Rebuild. We talked about the Rule 5 uh, intricacies. Deep nerdy and brutal five stuff that only he could possibly know, and uh, yeah, it was. I, I was very, I was very pleasantly. I shouldn't say pleasantly surprised, but it was just like whenever somebody, he's, he's the editor in chief of Baseball America. You figure he's really busy, but he gave us an hour plus, so wow. that was great. Yeah, he and it was funny too because he kept saying stuff like, uh, "I'll give a couple of hints or, or a couple of teases about the." I'm sorry to bring up the JG, JD Martinez trade or. Some of those, yeah. some of the stuff like that. But yeah. even in terms of the farm evaluation, just we asked him a question about the infield, and some of us, the answers he gave were pretty well in line with, mm-hmm. with Chris. And I know Uper for a fact we were thinking too, but it was very eye opening in a sense of just getting a more of a, a painting a picture of the rest of the league, what, the, what they think of the Tigers and, and what have you. And then just reminding JJ, and he was well aware of it, the lack of infield prospects that have been developed as regular players and so the the answer he had for that question was a good one too and it was something that 
again, I can't wait for everybody to share that audio. But if you are a Patreon member, you can get watch out the video now. But uh, yeah, so speaking of baseball and all things of that, the GMEs are going on right now in Carlsbad, California. Carl's, Carlsbad, I believe. Carlsbad, okay, Carlsbad. And there's, of course, you get in the series of MLB.com reporters reporting the Tigers are interested in, which is nice. It's really cool to hear. <laughs> so they're interested in John Gray, Erod, Steve Matz, and... Um, Deke Spathina, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's the other one. So I'll ask you guys, I, I did an article on John Gray, and I know we're good. I'm doing one on Erod that will be dropping tomorrow morning. But my, I'll start with you, Uper. Of those four, the Tigers are supposedly showing interest in. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, when we talk about signings like this, and you're looking at four guys and you're trying to maybe pick one or two that you'd hope they zero in on, I like to look at the what's possible, what's the highest ceiling possible. Uh, and I know going forward, I mean, they, their careers could all go multiple ways. So I just look back a little bit about what they've done in the past. And it looks like, to me, Rodriguez, in terms of his strikeout numbers, but also if you just war, his B-war, he had a 6.1 in 2019. That's far and away the best season any of those guys have posted. If he's healthy and they feel good about his arm, I know he, he was a little bit down this year, but I think in terms of the highest ceiling, to me, it's Rodriguez. And then in terms of B-war, it was a draw between Gray and Discofani, they had a 4-1 and a 4-0, respectively, so pretty much the same. And then Matt's was, he'd be the lowest one for me in terms of strikeouts and uh, what he's done and what his career season looked like so far. He'd be number four. How about you, Chris? Yeah, no, I'm pretty much in agreement there. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is the one that, I don't know, it felt like a couple months ago, not any, but nobody was really mentioning him as one of the more interesting pitchers on the market. And it was because he had a, a rough year by ERA, but his I think he had the biggest discrepancy in all of baseball between his ERA and his FIP, his fielding independent pitching. It's, let's see, 474 ERA, a 332 uh, FIP. Wow. And Fangrass has their uh, roster resource thing that allows you to look at all the, the free agents, and you can filter by position and so forth. And according to them, they project using their ZIPs, the Dan Samborski's ZIPs projection system, projecting war for the next few years and Eduardo Rodriguez has the third highest of any starting pitcher available this year according to that basically Zips projects Max Scherzer to have 4.2 war next year and Carlos Rodon to have 3.8 and that's Eduardo Rodriguez at 3.7 ahead of Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman and Justin Verlander so that's one projection system it doesn't mean anything is absolutely going to happen but he's a guy who has a lot of talent, and as you've said, he, he's got a six-war season under his belt. Uh, it's a different war system, and we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he would be my top choice. And then after that, uh, yeah, I, I like Matt's, but I worry about I think he's had some injury troubles throughout his career. I don't know if it's been as pronounced as, say, Carlos Rodon, and he hasn't had like, the control issues of Robbie Ray, but he also, I think, has a much lower ceiling. He seems like a, the ceiling of a number four starter to me. And I feel like it, it probably same with DiSclefani. I do feel like there's more in the tank with Gray and, and, and more in the tank with Rodriguez above him. So those would be my top two. And just in general, I think it's interesting uh, and fun that the Tigers are being linked with these guys. They're not, I don't think we've heard them linked with 
despite writing articles about it with Scherzer and Robbie Ray and stuff, we, we're doing that because we're just trying to cover all our bases. Due diligence, of course. Yeah, yeah, we're trying. Uh, they're not linked to these guys who are going to be getting $25, 30000000 million, but, but it's, it's a far cry from the Jose Urenas, the Julio Terrans, Mike Fires. Who else were they getting in the years past? Matt Mike Moore. Pelf- Mike Pelf- yeah, even I'm thinking more like the, but yeah, Pelfrey will do. But yeah, last three years, just hoping against hope that one of these guys has like a, a turnaround season. These are legit like mid rotation back end starters that they're looking at. Guys who are going to be making somewhere between ten to twenty million dollars a year, uh, depending on who they target. So it's nice to hear them connected with them. But again, I mentioned my conspiracy theory in our our private chat. A lot of times, it seems like it's John Paul Morosi who's the one mentioning the Tigers are linked to these guys. And he has connections here, but I always wonder, and this is something, one of these days I'd love to have one of these newsbreakers on, the, the Passon or Robert Murray from Fansighted, and talk to them about, because there's got to be a quid pro quo there. There's not, they're getting their information from agents and from teams. So there's always another side to it. Like, why do you want us to have this information? Why do you, you're not doing this for me? Because yeah. we're buddies. So anyway, it's getting long-winded, but it's nice to hear the Tigers in these conversations. Yeah, John and John Gray has one of the best nicknames of all time. You sending the wolf? John Gray's the wolf. Better motherfucker. Uh oh. Yeah, that had to cut it. Yeah, he's his nickname is the Gray Wolf. The Gray Wolf. Like, yeah, that's a sweet nickname. But uh, all all jokes aside, I did see that his projected WAR is similar to Alex Cobb of the Angels. So I like John Gray because look at his splits; they're dead even. He pitched well in course, which is very hard to do. And he pitched about the same on the road. He's got his strikeout numbers are good. And he has a really good couple of good pitches, good off speed pitches, slider. I think it was this curve or changeup. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. That looked really good. And he has a guy, he is a guy who can give you 150, 160 innings, which is a norm today. If you were being honest about it, there's no more 200 and 220 guy inning guys anymore. It doesn't, it's not going to be the regular case going forward, but well, you're talking about John Morosi for a second. This guy used to work for the Free Press, and he's he's well connected. He lives in, I think he, yeah, he graduated from the University of Michigan. He's from the area, and so it's one of those things where he's putting it out there, just mm-hmm. he's doing his due diligence. But I think at the same time, it's it was something. It was funny. Jed UK made a comment. It must be really easy to be an MLB.com writer. You just say a team's interested in something, <laughs> rinse and repeat. And I thought. That was interesting because for us, we have to take our shots in the dark. We have to make educated predictions. We're not going to make some sort of half-ass um, statements, what have you. And good evening, Christopher. How you doing? And I don't, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And it, the for Motor City Bengals, and this is something that this co-editor and, and you and I are both on the same page about. We're not going to half-ass something and make some, oh, they're going to sign Justin Verlander. They're going to sign Max Scherzer. They're going to bring back Robbie Ray. Huzzah! The 2014 rotation is back. <laughs> it would be funny. It'd be, that might even be a fun article to say. What if What if the Tigers signed nothing but former Tigers this offseason? <laughs> How much better would they be? <laughs> you got Jose Iglesias. you got Avi Garcia. you got Nick Castellanos. you got J.D. Martinez isn't available, but you could get Verlander, Scherzer, Ray. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it would be funny. But I just want to... A step back for a second. We talked about MLB.com writers. There, there was that one great article uh, about John Gray by Mike Petriello, who, yeah. who is fantastic. Does the the podcast? It used to be the Statcast podcast. I forgot what it's called now. And he was pointing out one of the big things. So one of the 
you assume that ERAs are going to be better on, uh, on the road than at home for course pitchers. But the, with John Gray, that's not necessarily the case. It's actually the same. But one thing he did point out was the third time through the order penalty in Colorado is astronomically higher than, than anywhere else. And it's, and it's it's always been considered a penalty for all pitchers. But once hitters see you three times, they get a better, just, just about everybody, they're, they're slugging against, their betting average, it's, it all goes up. But in Colorado, and they're thinking this is because just the, the higher altitude, you just fatigue quicker. And so you're less crisp and you're more likely to get bombed. So that could be a situation where, as you said, Raj, that the, he might not give you a 200 innings, but he might throw close to 180 if he's out of course. He might be able to handle those sixth and seventh innings more often. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, it's something interesting. And it's weird, but I think that he's a hot commodity right now because he didn't get a qualifying offer, which yeah, is yeah. bizarre for any number of reasons. But if you can go sign a quality mid-rotation starter and not lose a draft pick for it, well, that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And MLB, let me clarify this. MLB.com writers work hard and they do their jobs and they do due diligence but the reason why i thought that was funny is because on social but then again it's like they they have to put content out there and they're they have to do that and it's the same thing when not all our articles are gonna be winners but it's we have a certain requirement to do but i respect the hustle and they the especially with the article on john gray that was good stuff and it gave us some more intel but the third i did not know about the third time through the order it makes a lot of sense I can't imagine back 10, 15 years ago. Can you imagine them before they humiliated? Oh, when yeah, the humidor. Yeah, the humidor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it must have been the mid-aughts. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. Maybe late aughts. Yeah, I think late. I was going to say 2010, but it might have been a little before that. Okay, because I yeah. that was when we saw a difference in the pitching, too, because the Rockies were starting to develop their own pitchers for once. I remember the whole ordeal. Was it five years, $110 million to Mike Hampton? That was a yeah. terrible contract. And uh, what do they say? I say, think they said that John Gray is just the third Rockies pitcher ever to be drafted by the Rockies and then make it all the way to free agency as a Rocky, uh, wow. following Aaron Cook and Jeff Francis. I Jeff think. Francis, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A couple of immortals there. Uh, <laughs> well, anybody who can survive there for six plus years, is, that's running the gauntlet, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you deserve some sort of badge, like MLB badge. <laughs> Congratulations. You survived Colorado. What do I get? Do I get a raise? Please let me retire raise. their number. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like they installed the humidor in 2002. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. So the other interesting bit, tidbit of news too was the Tigers reported about being linked to Carlos Correa. And then, of course, the Yankees are too. The Yankees want a premier shortstop, worried about the luxury tax situation. So, again, I just, again, I want to believe that the Tigers are going to get a big name shortstop. I, I know people were reading into what Jamer Candelario said that Avila is setting us up. I can't wait for 2022 kind of thing. He could just say that to be a good team, good t- team or thing. Say, I don't really look into that more than what it is. It's cool. Candelario, by the way, congratulations to him. He was the Tiger player of the year. I voted by the baseball writers association. We voted him two year. I know that's a little different, but whatever, it's still <laughs> recognizing greatness, but Either way, I there is the, all the rumor like the Angel Nick or I'm sorry, Nick Cassiano's tied in Miami. It makes sense; that's his hometown. And the Marlins need an outfielder, outfielder really bad to shore it up a little bit. And they're interested in trading their three pitchers, Alcantara, and I forgot the other two off the top of my head right now. The 
Oh, Lo Lopez. Lopez, yeah. And then who was the third one? Uh, let's see. You said Alcantara, Lopez, and Lopez. Yeah, why are we blanking on that? Who's we have the internet team? in front of us, gentlemen. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not Rogers because he's young. It's not Sixto Sanchez. I don't think it's. No, uh, no. it's not Cabrera. That's for sure. No, it was Cabrera, wasn't it? At the the prospect they were Cabrera. Yeah, I thought that's what he mentioned. Really? He would probably be. At, they would ask for a lot for him. He had some good numbers throughout when he got called up too. And he's under team control for six years, so they're going to probably yeah. ask for a penny for that. Is that right? I thought it was him, but maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. But I, yeah, I thought it was kind of. I didn't think uh, it was, it was. I know. because I thought there was some suggestion, maybe not from them, but there's industry thought that maybe he ends up as more of a reliever. Let's see. Okay. I do like in the other picture I do is Erod because he's left-handed, and what you was mentioning earlier. The other thing I forgot to mention too is that he's under thirty. He's twenty-eight. Yeah. And so that serves. And there's something I again this philosophy I've talked about numerous times. If you're under thirty, and you're a MLB pitcher, and you don't have any arm issues, you're gonna get paid. It's just it's that simple. You're going. You could be twenty-nine, but if you're under thirty, if you're on that thirty, well, and that's also gonna play a part in the show a little later. You're gonna get paid, and he. Definitely, I know the Red Sox offered him a multi-year deal, but nothing as of yet. It's all super quiet right now, and this is the part of the offseason I get annoyed with because you want to see something other than a team's interested. You want to see a signing, and the one sign that has occurred, I was disappointed with, but I I wanted the Tigers to go after Andrew Henley because of oh, his strikeout yeah. numbers, and he signed a one-year deal with the Dodgers, and it's, there goes the Dodgers again going, you know what? No. And then the Tigers, oh, speaking of Dodgers, by the way, the Tigers – are reportedly interested in Corey Knebel. And you know what? I really mentioned him as a reliever. Another former Tiger. There you go. There yeah, you go. Tiger. Up. And I mentioned him in my article as relievers, and everybody was like, no, they don't need relievers. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Argue with me all you want. You can argue with me till the cows come home. Tell me a bullpen that is going to be, that stays together the same arms year in and year out. Tell me. Go ahead. Because. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. It's not an offensive line like an NFL where they stay together or a core of NBA players. An offense, a bullpen is different, and anything can happen. Anything can go wrong. But uh, either way, I thought that was interesting to see that happening too. But, I uh, think Knable would be a nice arm to add to the mix. I, what team couldn't use a Corey Knable? I mean, who couldn't? I mean, the guy's got a live arm. He gets the job done in late innings. Uh, that, if they make a move to add him, that would be – I think very much positive. Yeah, and I don't know. It's one of those things. It depends on what you're paying them. Always, if you're giving them like a three-year closer deal, maybe not at this point. But then again, the Tigers have Gregory Soto. They like him. I'm not sure if they're convinced he's a championship-caliber stopper at the back of the bullpen. And Michael Fulmer's only signed for one more year. Mm-hmm. So if they they look at right now as a good time to add a, a quality back-end bullpen piece, then that's fine. Like. They're just trying to get better at this point. It doesn't really matter. There, there's room to get better just about everywhere on this team. And the other thing that's interesting that came out during the jam meetings was Scott Boris's comments. As I wanted to address that real quick before we get to the other strange part of the jam meetings that was discussed by Rob Manfield, who I don't know if he was just caffeine high or whatever the idea was for that came about that. We'll get that in a second. But so one of the things that Scott Boris said. During the meeting, he said that the 
he backed the demands of the player association. So they're going to still try to get what they need to get. The also, it would be actually, I didn't even forget about this part. It's going to be the ninth lockout of MLB in the, in the first since 95, technically. But the, it says the sport is a victim of quote unquote competitive cancer caused by teams to unload veterans for draft picks. That and that led to the Braves to win. And the reason why the Braves won the World Series is because they were direct result of tanking. Mm. Yeah, they the, the Braves did. <laughs> They did tank. It was, and they went hardcore. They were trading everything that was wasn't tied down. I don't know if that's you can't directly correlate that to to them winning. The the Reds tanked awfully hard and made one playoff series before rebuilding again. It's you got to do it. It's uh, I don't know. That's one of the things we talked about with JJ Cooper comparing the Tigers to the Braves in their rebuild. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that was going to be – that's going to be interesting. And then here's the thing he said about Nick Castellanos. Quote, I kindly advised you all like two years ago, St. Nick was going to bring a lots of presents. And frankly, we're just going to sit back and see what teams have been naughty and nice. End quote. Wow. Already. It's, you know what? Matrix uh, stuff. <laughs> cornball. Did you, get there. did you look uh, – did you watch the show Silicon Valley by any chance? I watched the first season, yeah. Do you remember the head of Hooli – the company, the fake yeah. Google company, his name yeah. is Gavin Belson. Yeah. And he was this pompous ass Silicon Valley, I guess, I, trying to be like a Steve Jobs or whatever. And he would always bring in these animals to give like a talk. Yeah. Consider the elephant. He does one, there's one with a bulldog. He says, Consider the elephant, a bulldog. Disgusting. And he uses it as an example. And I swear to God, like I saw a picture of Scott Boris holding court the other day. And from the side profile, oh my God, it's Gavin Belson. He looked exactly like him to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? It makes sense. He's making all these weird extended metaphors and giving guys nicknames and stuff. It's, it's always such a weird part of the offseason, but uh, he gets the job done, man. You can't argue with that. Yeah, he is very captivating, and he also did a very – you're talking about metaphors. Yeah. He did one on Chris Bryant. He compared Chris Bryant to Sean Connery saying, oh, this – this version sucks. I don't know. Another, I gotta find this. He has he has bond like abilities to create a great middle of the lineup. He's always red hot in the hunt for October. He's an extraordinary gentleman in and he is in a league of his own. So wait a minute. He mentioned two good movies, Bond, of course, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a bad movie, and the reason why Sean Connery quit doing movies that was his last movie i believe that was his last movie and then he was called it done and it was just weirdly weird how he put it yeah, like, he like who, the, who the heck does that that was it was, was clever imagine him mentioning the whose character the guy who sam his second in command who ends up dying he was the one to talk about he wanted to own a farm with rabbits sean connery's second in command remember that sam what's what? his you, you've seen Red. You've seen the Hunt for Red October. Oh, the Hunt for yes. Red October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Neill. Sam, Sam Neill. Yeah, yeah. I thought you. I thought you had gone off to talk about like of mice and men. Um, no, he should have mentioned Zardoz, the one where John Connery is in a red velour, uh, <laughs> like you know, like a, a G string on. You know what? Yeah. This is a good time for me to share yeah, my screen, go. right? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Give everybody the visual out there for people to watch this on YouTube and go. Wait, what are you talking about, Sean? 
Sean Connery in a red G-string. What? Yeah, that is a movie <laughs> that actually existed in the 70s. Yikes. Late 70s. And he has it's, a it's not a G-string. I don't know what you call it, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, Bor has worn something similar, I would say. I need to. All right, here we go. All right, here or, we go. Um, gonna... Not Borat. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen had another character that had a neon green-looking thing that very similar. Oh, yeah, it was Borat, wasn't it? It wasn't Bruno, was it? It was, I think it was Bruno. I think it was Bruno. I don't remember off the top of my head. Before, but yeah, he would say to here's here's a, a quote here. And all right, Chris. Here we go. Can you see it? Here, hold on. Whoa, 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 where is it? Where <laughs> oh. Is it? oh wow. This is a movie. Look at it, big leather, like thigh high leather boots, a little gun, and that. That was a movie. <laughs> So the, the people over YouTube little right gun now, jokes just make themselves there. But. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, our YouTube fan, people are you listening to us on YouTube or yeah. watching YouTube, going, "What the hell just happened?" We'll have to. No. We'll have to include a link or a picture. <laughs> oh, like oh, here's another one as uh, another metaphor, and this is referring to Michael Conforlio, who the Tigers have expressed interest in. Who I'm like, okay, I, I like that idea. They have. Yeah, they, there, they was, they, there, there was a article or somebody expressed. They somebody said it on Twitter. It was a, somebody reported on that because he was the one that the Tigers asked for in the JD Martinez trade, and instead they're like, "Here's, here's Jose King and Sergio Alcantara yeah. and Lugo," yeah. which again, now that's another story for the the podcast mm-hmm. with JJ. But this quote was great. He has become the quote unquote king of queens, and Boris said, "But quote in free agency now, he's like the ace of many GMs' hearts." Which Sandy Ellison responded with this. You gotta love this. Quote, those comments are characterized as a blowhard in a house of cards. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. Oh man. Yeah, I know it, it, it's always ridiculous, but it's crazy like a fox. Boris knows he knows he's not being like a poet or like super clever here. He's saying things that get people talking about it. And and we are. Yeah, uh, yeah, and just, just to jump back a bunch. So, with John Rossi was talking about the Marlins, it was Alcantara, Lopez, and Eliezer Hernandez was the other guy. Okay, okay. so sorry to, to, but yeah, I mean, Hernandez had a, a solid 11 starts this year, he's only 26 years old. Apparently, the Blue Jays are looking for starters everywhere. So, well, you have to could. think though, one of those three guys would tempt the Tigers in some fashion. I don't know if there's a deal to be made there between the two, how they match up. Yeah, it just depends on what the Marlins are looking for. If they're just trying to get another young starter, I don't know. Would you trade Matt Manning for? You'd probably trade him for Alcantara, but yeah, I, I don't know. You still you're just trading six years for three years, basically. So after every time I heard a Boris comment, this was going off in my head. It's <laughs> 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 the Riddler laugh from 1960. Oh, the original Riddler from 1966, because some of the quotes who, he was... What's up? Who was played it? that original Riddler? Frank, it's, uh, what? Frank, uh, what's the guy who played Rocky... Uh, oh, Burgess Meredith. No, oh. He played the Penguin. You oh, played. you're right. If Frank Gleeson or... It starts with a G, I can't remember. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're close. Yeah, it's something like that. Ah, shoot. Yeah. Gorshin. Gorshin? Gorshin? Yeah, he was the original Riddler. And then Vincent Price was the Egghead. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so somewhere Tom Mazur what a ridiculous what a ridiculous everything he did like his uh, sidekicks were like Benedict and uh, yeah oh non total non sequitur but get back on it real quick but the last one that the reason why I say those kind of laugh is 
This one right here is the one that is the corniest one of them all on infield of Marcus Simeon. Quote, he brings a charge into the batter's box and kind of insulates the middle field. So truly, he's a modern-day Simeon conductor. <laughs> and we all know there's a chips shortage across – or there's a chip shortage of chips worldwide, end quote. That is – that's corn. That's like a dad joke. And these all are. All yeah. these are. Nobody talks about the King of Queens anymore. Come on. <laughs> I didn't. Nobody talked about it when it was on. I didn't watch the King of Queens. It was a CBS comedy. Come on now. Yeah. Did you watch the King of Queens? Or? Very little. Maybe 10, 12 times. For every corny CBS comedy, my wife likes them all. So there's. I, Two I Broke Girls. It. She loved that show. Never... Oh, that's a terrible show. I never got into Two and a Half Men. I never got into Everybody Loves Raymond. I never, you know, any of that stuff. I watched I some Raymond. Yeah, I, I did yeah, too. It's about a sports writer. Pretty cool. That guy. All right, that was non sequitur. But Chris, I want you to bring up this next thing, the what Rob Banfield said about Fangraphs today, because this is something that we well, were I don't... in Slack channel. It was just like, what? Yeah, I don't know if it was specifically Rob Manfred, but it was... We got news today from the, the, all the negotiations are ongoing, and, and the big sticking point, although all this seems to be service time, when guys become free agency, how uh, players who haven't reached arbitration or free agency are, are compensated. And the story that came out today was that the, the, the owners proposed players be paid based on their fan graphs war. These are players prior to free agency and the it was just a different way yeah when you first hear it you're like what in the world like why would they ever do this based on a public facing website we love war i use it all the time it's 16 times in every inside the numbers thing for me but i always look at it as okay this is the best we can do with the information we have teams know about the players value more uh, and this is just an estimate mm -hmm. and so it's not outrageous. Then, then I read in it and I go, okay, I understand. They're just basically saying this would replace the current salary arbitration system where players, their value is determined or their potential earnings value is determined in a completely, uh, basically in a dark room somewhere. The people have tried to fi figure it out, but we know, okay, yeah, Jamer Candelario is probably going to make four and a half million this year. But if you did it based on his war, he'd be worth, he'd be making more than that. So there, there are some interesting aspects of it. And, but as they pointed out in the article, it would really hurt because it's fan graphs is based on fielding independent pitching, which is basically is the idea that what should happen, but it's not what did happen. That's what uh, baseball reference war. That's why Casey Mize's uh, baseball reference war this year is, is probably too higher than his fan graphs war. I haven't checked, but he's probably three and a half on baseball reference and one and a half on fan graphs because his FIP was like four, six or four, seven. And his ERA was three, six or three, seven. So you'd have like weird circumstances like that where some guy is getting paid much less or much more based on one website, their calculation. And then relievers never rack up high war unless they have absolutely absurd numbers or they pitch a ton of innings like long relievers. So yeah, it, it, it was just a very silly proposal at least not well thought out. And the same, and even beyond that, the, the core issue within the proposal was that players still don't become free agents until they hit 29 and a half. 
which was the same problem with the first one, which they proposed months and months ago. So I don't know. It, it, it was something I never, ever thought I would see that <laughs> the team would even, we know that people read fan graphs from baseball, but I would never thought they would be like, yeah, what about fan graphs? Like just the amount of weird things that could happen with that. Like what if fan graphs just goes in and goes, you know what? Uh, we like this player. We'll bump him up. He'll get more money. <laughs> He'll kick it back to us. Like, our, our, hey, our website isn't working. We're not making as much money as we need to. Here you go, Marcus Simeon. You've got a 12 war season. Give me two of those war. And we'll, I mean, and they, we'll they are, they're all, they are asking for donations. When you, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, before you sign in, they have that goal they want to set and everything. And so it's pretty, no, it, and I don't mean the people at Fangraphs are great. We've had some of them on our show before, and we love Fangraphs. I don't mean to suggest that they are corrupt yeah. or anything like that, but. Setting up a system like that just begs for something like that to happen down the road. It, it's, I don't know. Again, like we don't really know the current system, how it works, how they determine the value. So maybe something like that is already going on. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, and they must put the word in there. They must Thank tweak, you. tweak their formula at least a little every year, some fashion. So who's going to control that? I, I remember the old, the used to have the old system. There were like type A free agents and type B free agents and things like that. Yep. And I think. Eddie Bajak, or Bajak, I don't know how he's pronounced his name, but he, he's Tiger's Twitter intelligentsia. has been around for decades now. I think he's the one who cracked, he like reverse engineered it to figure out how they did it, was able to get 99% right beforehand to determine who was going to be an ABC. And I'm not surprised either because Eddie, I think in real life. He's an engineer. engineer. Yeah, graduate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. got to watch out for these engineers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, he's a smart dude. And the, the, the thing that I took away from that too it was something that the age thing made me think about if it's a bad combination because you're going to be able to lock these guys down for almost a decade worth and for pitchers imagine being a starting pitcher and you know that you're not going to be a free agent until you're until technically 30 yeah and you you might have five or six years left i'm not saying every pitcher dies down at 35 or 34 35 but i love to see the correlation of data between pitchers who are 35 and 40 or even 34 for that matter every year in your third it's like a running backs they when once you hit 30 you're you're pretty much done yeah i'm not saying pitchers are but i'm just yeah i'm not suggesting no. that but you know you know if teams have these pitchers locked down until they're 30 years old what where what's there where's their incentive to take care of them you yeah, know if you, you're, if i would seem to me that you want to push your pitchers as much as you can that's a good point you can use them as you can use them up and who cares what happens to them when they're 30? Yeah. And once, once the, if they were to set the free agency age at 29 and a half, what you would probably see then eventually is teams shifting towards taking more high school players yeah. and, or more college players and just immediately sending them to the majors and, and dealing with it. So the quality of play would change a little bit, but then you'd still eventually have the same thing going on, but you'd have control of these guys for eight, nine years. Uh, like you said, yeah. and, and the players there for their part, they, they want, They'd like situations where guys can hit arbitration after two seasons or become free agents after five. And so there's got to be some sort of middle ground that they can find here. I don't know I don't know what it is or how they're going to figure it out based on the proposals that we've heard. They still seem far apart on all this. So let me ask you something, Youper. In terms of you've been around to see some of the original <laughs> 81 lockout, which I was going to refer to. And I'm not saying that for – any reason then you're the kind yeah. of elder statesman in this group. So I'm old. It, <laughs> but it, it, it helps because we, it, it adds perspective. And they had Terrible. that strange 
you know, to the strike season, whatever the split season, first half, second half championship. But is the labor union more or less not as strong as it used to be? Because I look at the I look at the strike of the nineties, seemed like they're very fortified, but in eighty one there was a strange that whole thing in eighty one seemed really strange that they had the, the split of the season and I think the owners were caught off guard. I think what happened there is you know, the last two strikes, including that one, I think the owners have learned now they're not going to let it go to a strike anymore because mm-hmm. the players can pick when they're going. I think they're going to lock, they're going to lock things out because now the owners have control of that mm-hmm. or they can say no more baseball. Whereas the players pick them, choose their spots. And that's how you end up with no world series and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. I think the owners have gotten a little savvier. Dealing with the players, they're not totally outclassed like they were against Marvin Miller in the 70s. Um, but I, I also think that the players' union, most people think they got worked in the last negotiation, or at least semi-worked. And uh, Tony Clark probably bears some of the brunt of that. So he's got to be thinking, I, I need to make up for that and stand tall on this negotiation. So I, that's why I, people seem to think they're going to get this done before any baseball is missed next year. I'm not confident of that. <laughs> These things tend to drag on and there's going to be a lot of small details that they want to fight over. Yeah. One, one of the things, so I feel like in the, the 90s strike, there was, they were playing without a CBA for quite a while, yeah. not like years, but, but several months, like they were willing. And I do wonder if things get gross during these, I, I just wonder if there's a, a compromise that might be like, hey, let's just play one more year with everything the same as it is right now. And then we'll keep talking and negotiating. Because I do feel like both sides know that they can't really afford, after having a shortened season last year, they can't afford to have another season shortened by labor strife. So I wonder if there'll be some sort of random short contract compromise, or if such a thing is even uh, allowable. I don't know. They may have to sign three or five year deals, no matter what. I I don't know how it works. Yeah. I mean, cooler heads prevail is what you're hoping for. Yeah. Hard to say. It really is. But I think the owners definitely know they they have to lock out. They can't be uh, subject to the whims of of a strike. Yeah. and, And I think a lockout is going to happen. I think that is inevitable. The question is how much, that's just a procedural thing, basically. The question is how much people freak out about it when it does happen. People are like, oh, yeah, I knew this was coming, instead of saying, all right, the next step is continued negotiation. The season doesn't start for another three months or whatever. It should be fine. But, yeah, I don't know. People like to point out the worst possible outcome. Yeah, it's basically the the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling scenario. And it's funny because I look at, as much as, if you pay attention to Tigers for the last 30 years or so, it's strange to see Tony Clark in this role because you see him now as this kind of big burly dude with an awesome beard. And then remember him as this is Tony <laughs> Clark in for Bristol back in rookie league, in the Appalachian league. So look at that. That's wow. Yeah. That's a young Tony Clark fresh out of university of Arizona. That's just, I don't know. Just like sometimes when you go, man, we're old. Cause I, I remember this. I remember, well, the Tigers drafted him and they made them, it was a big deal. And seeing Tony Clark now and then as a predominant figure now, it's just, it's. You know, it, it, I, I would love to be able to find the article. I read it a long time ago and I don't remember the particulars, uh, but I know the essence of the article is across most of the major sports, 
players unions have been at their weakest when they've been led by an ex-player and they've been at their strongest when they've been led by labor lawyers. When you think about it, it makes some sense. <laughs> the people who are uh, a little, they, they don't, they're not as subject to the whims of all the players because they weren't one. They're just going to, they're looking to represent the whole uh, unit of players and get the best possible deal and be tough as nails against the owners. And I, sometimes I just don't know if players have that in them because they spent so much of their adulthood playing. <laughs> yeah. And these labor professionals are the opposite. They've been through these wars. And that's, that's yeah. been when these unions have been viewed as the strongest. Yeah, no, and I, I remember certain players being very strong pro union, like Tom Glavin. I remember being a real kind of hard ass for the players. And there's always good, smart players who, who like in any other you're an auto worker, there's going to be a handful of people who are like legit, like way into this, understand the law and fighting for workers' rights and stuff like that. I do wonder if there's a little bit, if you've ever read up, there's a, an unconscious, uh, favorable bias toward tall people in the world yeah tall, yeah. Like, tall people make more money and get better careers and stuff like that you got tony clark is six foot eight oh, i guess he's gonna be a good union chief he's so big <laughs> they got a lot of bad deals in the eyes of many and yeah. they started doing better once they got a player out of that position and put a la- labor chief in there I- i'm sure the owners don't miss this man right here donald fear donald fear yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look at look at his look, look at him he's like i'm not i'm going to i'm gonna bust you i'm gonna bust you and proper. He always looked like he just smelled uh, bad milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, like he had intimidating facing. I remember him and Glavin were at these. In when that strike happened, it was they trust in fear, and that's and he got it done. And so it wasn't pretty. But you're right, you there is something to what you said. They're absolutely right, and just and, or finally, they're Marvin Miller is going to the Hall of Fame, isn't he now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he did. He got. Uh, he actually oh. voted in by the. I don't remember how he got in, but uh, I think it was yeah. a committee. But one of the things he said was, "I, I don't want to go in the Hall of Fame, and if it happens, I'd rather it happen when I'm not alive." And yeah, there you go. You know, but so we did get a question tonight, Chris. Correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Our our friend Deadly Ninja Bees comes through yet again. Yeah. I thought we might get more uh, streaming questions, so I didn't put out another call for questions, but oh well. Uh, yeah, he said, question about the mid-level pitching targets like Mats and Gray, the ones we were talking about earlier. Do you see, or do you guys see them signing early or waiting it out? And if the Tigers sign a couple of starters, what does this mean for Tyler Alexander? I thought he looked like a starter last year. A couple good questions there. That's a really good question. Youper, I'll let you take a first crack at this one. Well, first Tyler Alexander, yeah, he, he had some really nice outings. I'm sure he will play a role next year. Like most teams, you start with your five starters, but you're going to need six, seven, eight when to get through the year. And I'm sure he can be one of them. And so I don't think it affects him too much because what's he going to be? He's always going to be pretty much a four, right? I, I don't see it, a, a real breakout into a two or a three with him. I think he'll have his uses no matter who they sign. In terms of before the lockout, that's something I've been thinking about. It's really hard to really nail that down. I would think some players might want to say, hey, I want to go into this lockout with some security. I'm going to have a deal struck, and I know where I'm going to be once we start for the next three or four years, and I know what money is coming in. And for the Tigers, they're not up near the luxury tax. They're not even close. So they can sign players, and they know no matter what changes after the lockout, the contract's probably not going to hurt where they're standing at all. 
So I would hope there's some action this month. It'll be pretty dull if there's not. But some of the bigger players I can see wanting to wait until after the lockout, like Korea and so on. Yeah, they're, they're seeing how the agreement. As far as Alexander's concerned, and I did an article about him when the season ended. I thought he was one of the most unheralded Tiger players we've seen in a long time because he's not, his numbers as a starter were better than he was as a reliever. And when he made that transition, I think it was in mid-May to late early June, as a starter, he it picked it up. They were able to hone in on his best pitches too, which was his cutter, I think it was. I, I'm, but I just know that Alexander was much more effective the third time through the lineup. Second time through the lineup, third time was hit and miss. But still, if it wasn't for Ty Alexander, I think the Tigers would have been in a far worse situation because they didn't have, again, and this is something that, I saw somebody make a comment today on Facebook about the Tigers have starters in their system. No, not really. They don't have anybody in AAA or AA right now outside. I, I can't think of anybody right now. You don't know the Steve Alex Fado, whether he's going to be in the bullpen or start. You don't even know who he is right now. We haven't even heard mm-hmm. him rumor about him pitching or anything. Franklin Perez is pretty much back down to some sort of squander or what have you. So the Tigers don't have a lot of depth. And Alexander stepped in, got the job done, and I really enjoyed it because I've been – Chris, since you know me, I, I was the one that was like, remember, I think we, when we first started doing the podcast, I'm like, Alexander, that guy's going to be a great starter. And when he flopped, I'm like, ah. But then when he started doing that thing, when he turned around his, in delivery where he did a little quarter spin back, and that wasn't used to be part of his delivery. He became a much more effective pitcher in Toledo, and he got up in the Tigers organization. We were looking, I was looking through this earlier when we talked to JJ. Tyler mm-hmm. wasn't on any of these lists here. And so he was a second-round draft pick, which – Worked for the Tigers, which was better than what happened with Nick Quintana. Actually, yeah. the way he explained the Nick Quintana trade is also brilliant. But either way, I I personally think that if the Tigers get one starter and maybe a reliever or mid-tier starter, maybe like Alex Cobb, for example, is out there too. Mm-hmm. Alex, I think Kyle Alexander has a role in it. Although I don't really think Cobb has been healthy too. But yeah, either yeah. way. Yeah, to, to the idea... I think we will see some pitchers sign before the lockout and before coming back. I, I'm inclined to think it'll be the guys who don't have qualifying offers. I feel like someone like Eduardo Rodriguez might wait longer. I don't know why I think that. For some reason, I just, maybe teams are hoping like somehow the new CBA will give them some sort of relief. I, I don't think that even matters. I assume that if you have a qualifying offer under this CBA, then the terms still apply. Uh, but I do feel like the bigger contracts are going to wait until after. So I can see Gray signing relatively soon and Matts and Di and Alex Wood and all those guys, the second, third tier. But I feel like a Stroman and a Gosman and Erod and well, Scherzer might sign quick too because he just needs a bunch of money and probably can stay in LA. With Tyler Alexander, I think if you're the Tigers right now, you're going into next year with two starters, basically. You've got Casey Bison and Tarek School. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I mean, they're connected to all these starters because they're going to get at least one, if not two, I think. And then it's a competition between Tyler Alexander and Matt Manning for the fifth starter spot. And I, it's hard to argue that Tyler Alexander was worse than Matt Manning last year. Tyler Alexander was much better than Matt Manning last year. And for as much as you know, it, it, you need to bring Matt Manning along, if the Tigers are serious about competing. They can't have Matt Manning starting every fifth day if he's going to pitch the way he did last year. That's not a way to win. What did he have, a six and a half ERA or something like that? I mean, he showed signs 
Tyler Alexander was pitching about the same as Casey Mize. So, I mean, you go into spring training, say you sign two free agents, you have Mize and Scoobal and those two free agents. It's a, yeah, it's a competition for the fifth starter spot between Alexander and Manning. They'd love Manning to win that and Alexander be their swingman, longman, and they could bring him back in the rotation. But if that were to happen this year, I would have given Alexander the edge. So I think there's still a role for him for sure. Yeah. And Walter brings up Justin Verlander, which I forgot to mention that somebody talked about Tigers giving him two years of 50 million. And I don't know who that was. And I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like a ridiculous amount of money for a guy coming off Tommy John at his age. And look, this workout was impressive. I'm not going to pretend to go. Like I wrote an article about it. I thought it was great. He's throwing out there, throwing the heat. But then you factor in, and maybe this is a cyn- like I'm trying to be cynical here, but reality, he didn't face any live batters. He pitched 25 pitches, and that was it. But to come out there throwing 95, 96 is impressive. So does Verlander, huh? What's up, Chris? But I didn't think, didn't they think that he's going to have another one here relatively soon? Okay. I thought he was going to do another showcase soon. There was, they thought he would do it before a certain, I think it's before the qualifying offer has to be accepted, which must be in the next few days. 18. So they, they thought maybe he might have another one before then. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. I feel like any team who signs him is going to have, there's got to be some like incentive laden escalators in there. If you're going to pay him 25 million, I feel like you can't, I mean, maybe you can, but. I would think that that last five million, last 10, 10 million don't come unless he makes like 25, 30 starts for you or something like that. And how much can you expect him to throw after a year off and not answer? I don't know. And maybe he's good enough that he's been able to, he'll, somebody will just throw the money at him, hoping that to get the really good year too. But I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, he's good. We'll see. <laughs> to answer Walter's question on YouTube, will Fado pitch again in the majors this year? Look, I, 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 I here's the thing. I think that F- F- will be in AAA, and unless he blowing batters away or he has a good, maybe he has a really good spring. Maybe they use him out of the bullpen. I don't know. But if he's going out there throwing darts and just lighting batters up in spring training, and he's one of the among last cuts, you could see a midseason. I could definitely mm-hmm. see that. Whether he starts or not, that is a question because if, if I think Chris, you've said this before that you think he's better suited out of the bullpen, or I forgot who said that among us. I think maybe Brandon Day said it too. Yeah, as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I he just he strikes me as a, I've always compared him to Alex Wilson, former Tigers reliever Alex Wilson, who got by with a, a low nineties fastball and a really good slider for a long time or cutter. Uh, and I feel if I had those best pitches is slider, it was, it, yeah. It, it remains to be seen. I think there's a certain, certainly it's a possibility we could see him pitching out of the bullpen in Detroit this year. We could see him make a dozen starts for the Tigers this year if, if things turn out great. It, it's tough to know. It's a comparable situation to Joey Wentz last year. Joey Wentz went back to double A this season. It was, he was okay. He was mostly limited to three, four, five innings in any of his outings. They wouldn't let him throw, I think, past 80 pitches or so. And he wasn't nearly as crisp as he was before. And that's just very often the case with guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. They, they, the, the command just isn't quite there. Yeah, and the, and, off, the off-speed stuff takes a minute to get back too. Yeah, and when you're talking about – it's always funny thinking about like major league command. If you sit back and try to throw a ball 60 feet, 6 inches, <laughs> if you miss by 2, 3 inches, that's like life and death in the major leagues. Like you have to be really precise. So 
right? Unless you have uh, absurd electric stuff, which is the way the league's going. Like, uh, screw command, just throw 100 with a nasty breaking ball. But someone like Fido can't do that. He's going to probably top out 93, 94. That's what he was doing before. So yeah. he's just, it seems like he's just shy in the velocity department mm-hmm. of trying to pull off a Lance McCullers career where mm. he's throwing nothing but that slider, but he can mix in a 96. Yeah, it's good call. And and Fajardo just doesn't quite have that much electricity. <laughs> yeah, to, to get that. So I don't know if you can you be a slider guy and throw ninety three. Maybe uh, if you're pinpoint with it, maybe. Yeah, and I was gonna say if he has to be one of those pitchers that has to be pinpoint accuracy in order to be effective as a starter, it reminds me of uh, Russ Ortiz, the former Braves and Diamondbacks pitcher, where he didn't have the velocity, but he had a book on all these guys, and he was all about control and pinpoint control. When he started losing pinpoint control, that's when he was just a crappy pitcher. Be- or not, I don't know how to say crappy, I'm sorry. That's when he started losing his effectiveness because he didn't have the velocity to go back there. That was his, It was always a little velocity. Jar Jurgens comes to mind too, the former Tiger Brave. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Like when he, he lost his velocity, he wasn't the same pitcher. He didn't have that much velocity to begin with. Yeah. But he had to be pinpoint control. And those like he might fall into that category. But for me, I, I think that if it's – I think better might – this is my opinion. I think it might be better suited out of the bullpen. But it depends on what the Tigers do here in the offseason. I did the free agent minor league look over, and I think there's a couple starters out there that could just fit. Like Chris, your suggestion of uh, – was it Nick Castellani? Uh, Ryan Castanelli. Yeah, Ryan Castanelli in relation to Chris. Chris and, and, yeah. are, are they not related? I don't know. They might be. I, I don't have know, no idea. If Chris wants to tell us, he would. But yeah, it, <laughs> I think that he was a good idea because his windup, and I saw him pitching Ninja, looked exactly like Max Scherzer's. So if you want the Max Scherzer thing without having Max Scherzer paying the money, hey, then you can yeah. give that. And Walter asked about what do we expect out of Wentz next Wentz. season? I think he's the real wild card. That could be one of our, our, our fun stories next year. Now that he is in year two back from, from Tommy John surgery. And he looked not great, but not bad. He could really take a step forward. But that would be really fun to see. That's something we don't talk about near enough. Yeah, you know, from watching him this year, it seemed interesting because his changeup was his best pitch. And whenever you've got a lefty with a good changeup, you've got a chance. I think of Nick Ramirez. He didn't have a long career, but he, he was a viable pitcher for the Tigers because he had a really good changeup that he could throw at any time. And Wentz has a lot to like. He's a big-bodied kid. He, he can get the ball up to 94, 95 occasionally. It's, he doesn't sit there. And he'll show two different breaking balls. I think he's definitely got a chance to make some starts next year. But it does. he, he has to be better than he was this year. And I assume he will be just from clearing that hurdle of the first year back from Tommy John. But, yeah, he was not a guy who was – he just seemed to struggle to really put guys away easily this year. His numbers were okay, but it just wasn't that efficient, uh, effective pitch uh, execution that you'd like to see. And I will and say that, this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you'll go ahead. If you're still talking about Wentz, that's cool. Yeah, it was going to say yeah. Wentz, Chris, I think we've seen this before. We saw this Michael Fulmer. Second year back, the first year Fulmer came back from Tommy John, he was struggling. The velocity wasn't there. He had some good outings, and he talked about that. At first, we all thought that was, well, maybe it's just, but he knew exactly the process of what he was going through because he was still coming back from surgery. I think once next year, in 2022, the velocity will be back up. I think you'll see a better version of him, and I think you'll see him starting in either Erie or Toledo at first, but I think the Tigers might bring him up at some point because they, and like when I read that study, 
I put this in articles. It's true. A lot of the guys coming back the second year are much more effective. So now that he has a year in his belt where he knows what he's capable of, can he throw his same off pitch, off speed pitch like he did before? Can he snap one off or can he get the velocity back on his fastball like he did before? He knows now with surgery what he can do and what he can't do. Yeah. And I, I think it's, we're not, none of us are professional athletes, but I think it's right. something that everyone can relate to if, if they have, even if you've never had an injury where you require surgery or something like that, it's just the idea that something that you're using had to be completely reconstructed. Yeah. And and you just, there's got to be a, a mental point where you stop worrying about it anymore. And that's what it seemed like happened with Michael Fulmer. It seemed like it happened in spring training where he was, he still seemed like the guy he was last year. He was trying to hold back and, and trying to baby it. And then eventually he just said, screw it and let go. And and that's when he got everything back. And he was up in the upper 90s again. It was like, yeah, it's there, there's got to be a mental block there. And maybe that's a case for everybody coming back from surgery. Uh, and Wentz included. And Fido maybe too. I, the, the one I was just going to go back to, the, I, I kind of remember Al Albuquerque as the first few years of Albuquerque were like just this ridiculous roller coaster because he would strike out. I think he had super high strikeout rates, but also walking like every other batter he faced. And then his velocity, I you just remember him from his slider was ridiculous, but he also could throw like 97, 98 every now and then. He was sitting in like the mid 90s. And then the velocity dropped down and he actually did gain some better control for a bit. Mm -hmm. When the velocity fell too far, all the strikeouts went away and then the, that was it for him. There's, I don't know, I, I just, like you were saying with McCullers, I do think that you can be like a primary breaking ball pitcher, if you have that ridiculous fastball in, in your back pocket too. Even K-Rod, when he came, he mm -hmm. was a changeup pitcher. And that worked when he still had a decent fastball. But as soon as the fastball dropped a little bit farther, it was all over for him. Yep. There is a, I, I know, like it's one of those things I was thinking about too with in terms of starters. There's no discussion about Willie Peralta. I thought that they... Did you did you notice that there was like Peralta became a minor league free agent, or excuse me, a free agent, and you would think I know the Tigers like him and want to bring him back. You think that there'd be some sort of, hey, we're gonna bring him back because teams have re-signed players or somebody they quickly lost, but nothing. Yeah, I don't know how much of this is procedural. I don't know if he's is he pitching in uh, the Dominican Winter League or anything like that. I don't know if he's out doing other stuff. Um, yeah, it's tough to say. It, it, I'm sure they do like him, but maybe they don't want him on a big league deal again. Maybe they're going to try to get him in a minor league deal again. Um, yeah, guy, he seems like a guy. Well, let's say they're 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 on the hunt for two free agents, big name yep. free agents, uh, yeah. and they only get one. <laughs> so now, okay, now we got Willie in our back pocket. Let's get him in here. You know? That's yeah, that could work. Yeah, it it feels to be. Blunt, a pitcher like Willie Peralta is not their priority right now. They want to get some guys who are legit, like they could trust to be mid-rotation starters. And w Willie Peralta is one of those guys who would not have made much money on F4. His, uh, he's a guy whose FIP is is a, almost two runs higher than his ERA because he's uh, a low strikeout, kind of elevated walk, pitch-to-contact guy. And he seemed to do it really well this year, but there's a lot of indicators suggesting that maybe that's not sustainable. Um, As I mentioned, with the Tigers' defense being one of the worst in the league, that doesn't help your cause. And you, know, you don't necessarily want a bunch of ground ball pitchers out there when you've got Willie Castro and Harold Castro, man in the middle. 
I forgot to mention this too. Drew Carlton, who is pitching down in the Dominican Winter League, was released, was taken out the 40 man roster and was released or waived. It was waived, yeah. I believe he's waived. I think yeah. he's agreed to go back to Toledo. Yep, he did. Not, not, not... Yeah, yeah. He did. He accepted minor league assignment back to Toledo. So Drew Carlton will be in Toledo's mm-hmm. rotation or on the bullpen next year. No, sorry, the bullpen. But either way, I think that those are some of, the, some of those little moves that we were talking about, the, those things are starting to happen. We're definitely going to see a flurry of activity next week because you have to have everything set up for the Rule 5 draft. Again, I will. there will be some clarification on the Rule 5 draft. Krista had asked a good question, J.J. Cooper, and I'll get some clarity on that as uh, we try to figure that out. There's some players that are should be eligible. They're not, and we'll get, like I said, they're, on the extra audio this week, or when I put it out this weekend, you'll be able to find out. So if you are a Patreon member, by the way, oh, yeah, Walter – you know what? I, I mentioned it earlier. You, Walter asked in the YouTube, is the Henley signing by the Dodgers just them having a ton of money, or is that the going rate for starting pitchers these days? Both. To answer your question, um, Walter, both. Because <laughs> yeah. they're just like, you know what? Bam. And they, they, the Dodgers, are, when they sign somebody, it's like the Rays. They, they have a strong indication of what they know, know what they're doing, and I think it's a starting rate thing, too, but it's the same as they try to get to the punch real quick on that. But if you are a Patreon member, like I said, and Walter is one. Thank you, Walter. I mentioned that part of the first part of the show. So if you want to go back and the JG Cooper audio is there. It's a video par- portion of it. So as you were saying, I, go ahead. Well, there's one thing I, I was going to look at something here and I was going to try to share my screen, but I need to refine my search here because there's something very fascinating about Andrew Haney or Haney, however you want to pronounce it, Sheriff Haney. I don't remember that he is in the last three years he's among the leaders in all of baseball in strikeouts and walks like strikeout for walk ratio he's got an elevated strikeout ratio and and a really nice low walk rate and i'm trying to refine my search here to see to show yeah okay here we go so let me elevate and share my screen elevate and celebrate this i i will see if this like when i share my screen if if you'll be able to follow my cursor and stuff like that yeah, sure. I, I should be able this to. Is, we should be able this to. This is something that is, uh, yeah. Producing on the fly. Yeah, sorry. All there right, you can you see my screen? Can you see my screen now? You see what I'm looking uh, at? Yeah, let me add it to the stream. Let's see here. Whoa. That's All right. Awesome. How about now? You uh, see what I'm looking at? Uh, yeah. It's a fan graphs. Yes. List. So this is the list. From 2019 to 2021, these are uh, all starting pitchers ranked by strikeout minus walk ratio, basically strikeout to walk ratio percentage. And here's Andrew Haney, 21 over the last three seasons. These are all pitchers, all starters with uh, 250 plus innings. If you look, everybody above him, Jacob DeGrand, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, all these guys, they're like Cy Young Award finalist type pitchers. And the guys near him, you've got Sean Manaya, Zach Wheeler, Matthew Boyd, Chris Paddock. Like these are all good pitchers. He's in that mix. And you can look over here at this ERA minus. I don't know if people can see it. ERA minus is like OPS plus. So Jacob DeGrand's ERA minus of 51 means that his ERA is 49% lower than the average over this time. Every one of these pitchers with the strikeout to walk ratio better than Haney's is a well above average ERA guy. And then you get to Andrew Haney and it's 117. Ooh. And it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. Like they're 
So there's some, it, he's very much, I don't know who made the comparison, but he's very much like Matthew Boyd. I think it was uh, Evan Woodbury. Yeah. It, and, and they, both of their issues, they even have the exact same uh, whip over the same couple, last couple of years. And their BABIPs are pretty close. They probably have similar home run issues. 179 home runs per nine, 175. Yep. So anyway, I, I, I'll stop sharing now. But that's basically the idea is there are things there about Andrew Haney that are very positive. And the Dodgers apparently think that they can accentuate those and, and then eliminate the home run issues. What Like what we were hoping Matt, Matthew Boyd could do. And he did this year briefly before going on the IL. So that is, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the going rate for random starters this year. I think that's the going rate for starters with a significant amount of upside. And I think that's what Haney has, or Haney. Again, I don't know how he pronounces his name. He's been around forever. I've been following prospects since he was a prospect. I should know, but I don't. <laughs> oh, there's a, I saw a name in there, Sean Manea, who is Sean on the Manaya, trade yeah. block. And, and the A's are basically, so so be interesting to see who picks them apart, whether it be Toronto, New York, or even the Tigers for that matter. But I think the Tigers don't have enough prospect depth for what Oakland may want because, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens. If Oakland's okay, we'll take, Parker Meadows. Take. You'd never know with Oakland. I always picture them dealing with the Yankees for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's just because they've done a couple deals with the Yankees and it just sticks in my head. But they are one of those franchises that just refuses to spend money. And anytime the payroll gets high, they look for any way to get it down. And that could be, hey, we'll give you this guy if you take on this. And taking on this could be Matt Olson. Like, oh, I'll take on Matt Olson. Yeah. Uh, here you have uh gage workman and uh, dylan dingler and we'll see you later but yeah there's there was somebody that said something about the idea because we posted an article alan god bless alan he's done a really good job so far he's been hitting the bricks pretty good and mentioned a possibility of hitting the bricks is that you know it's bad he's been doing well sorry i should <laughs> on the audio version i'll edit that no, or weird things anyway he mentioned back of first baseman because potentially with Cabrera scope, what have you. And there was a comment like, what about, and I told him to make sure you put some disclaimer, not until Spencer Torkelson's ready. And then somebody made a comparison to him being the next Norm Cash, a generational player. And I feel like that's a lot of pressure on a guy who, he went three levels in one year. His, his first season yeah. pro ball. That is awesome. He, he had 30 home runs. Yeah. Walk rate, WRC plus was great. It, yeah, like he made a ton of progress. It, yeah, I, it's always funny. You could tell how old somebody is by the player they compare him to. <laughs> Norm Cash. Norm Cash, you came over in what, 1960, 1959? Yeah. 661. Sox, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's fine. If you believe it's, yeah, not to, to hijack the thread, but yeah. No, but, it, no it's, yeah, it's, and, and, and by the way, Oakland has been doing this for since they were in philadelphia under connie mack they've well, always done this they when they're in kansas city for example how do you think the, the yankees got mickey excuse me uh, roger maris they would pick up and don larson was a former kansas city a oh lots of guys absolutely yeah a lot of them and they, they were joking around in the 60s that the a the kansas city a's were the yankees farm system yep so this goes back back a long time oh go ahead uber I mean, the A's definitely have some guys who would inject some juice into the Tigers lineup. Uh, I know I, you mentioned Manaya for the rotation, mm -hmm. but you got to believe Chapman Olsen, one of those guys could plug nicely yeah. into the top half of the Tigers lineup. 
you figure out a way to get Matt Chapman, you go, all right, Jamer, you can play second. Yeah. Or first. Or DH or whatever. We'll put you in left field. We don't care. Jamer, yeah. you're great. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Uh, because Matt Chapman, you got one of the best defenders in, in all of baseball there. Yeah, it's I think there are probably better fits than for the Tigers, but it does feel like there are about six or seven players in the A's right now who will not be on the A's to begin next year. Yeah, even if they wanted to. He's under the suspension now, but would they move that? Loriano, yeah. yeah. No, Interesting I, center fielder. Well, I'd watch him play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, or no Nick doubt. Plummer. Yeah, Nick Plummer, who was released by the Cardinals, former Brother Rice graduate. Yeah. yeah, and I, honestly, I would lo- I love to see him in a Tiger uniform or Toledo uniform as a backup, whatever the case is. The Tigers should pounce on that because, yeah, yeah, Mateus is pretty good. I can't argue that. But so thanks so much for listening to Tigers Radio Pod. We're gonna have one more show next week as we're gonna take Thanksgiving off the week of Thanksgiving because quite frankly, unless the Tigers do something that week, which watch watch what will happen. Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, as we're getting ready to go to bed, or if you're like, let's say you're 25 years old and you go meet up with your friends to go relieve your high school glory days because that's what you do the night before Thanksgiving. You meet up with your high school friends and get party. Watch what oh, yeah, that's Yeah. No, I like oh. the idea of Vila and Dabrowski meeting up and making a, a big drunken trade and suddenly the Tigers have Alec Bohm and Shots of well, uh, shots of well, turkey. Mick Abel and yeah, yeah, I did see that the Phillies are are linked to Starling Marte, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that would be a good signing. That's a, actually would be a, a good signing for Philly. And they've also they did have some, I think, there's some rotation issues, or even I know they might be looking for a shortstop too. But they've got many issues. Yes. Yeah, they they do got many issues, including that the eternal stuff they have going on. But honestly, if we'll have the JJ Cooper audio out here in the next couple of days, but I wanted to really give it out to our. Patreon members, I know I haven't put it out exactly some bonus content, but we're going to start doing that here. We have the Ryan Cryler breakdown. We have Erie we're going to start this week at some point. I've just been really slammed since I came back from work and the day job, and then Motor City Bengals is doing very well. So I want to thank everybody who's been reading. A special shout-out to Alan and Gavin and Danielle for stepping up and doing writing and, and filling the void, and hopefully Kelly will see him back on the scene soon and had a good conversation on what's going on with him. And so uh, honestly, it's been a great month for us and we appreciate you listening, all the great comments and again, go to motorcitybankles.com, check out all the great content, Tiger Miley report at Tigers ML report on Twitter, Tigers Miley report on Facebook, and you can find our individual things, handles on there. And until then, again, thanks for the questions. Killer B coming through. Appreciate it. And until next week, have a good week, everybody. Good night. Where's the money, LeBeau?